The scripture reading for this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Let's pray again. Father, I pray your blessing upon this word now. It's such a simple way of life that's going to be laid before us today, but oh, Father, how important a way of life it is. All our ability to bear fruit in Christ comes down to this simple way of life. Father, my biggest concern today is that because we've heard these things before, we'll shut our ears off and we'll shut our heart down, and I pray that that would not happen. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be humble people today. I pray that we would be hungry, teachable people today. I pray that even if we're living this way of life, we would rejoice at somebody coming to fan into flame this way of life today. Oh, Father, use your word by the power of your spirit and do a great work in us. Teach us the simple way that you taught, David, that we might bear much fruit to the glory of your name. And Father, I give you my thanks because I know that you will use your word to accomplish your purposes. And so we pray in the happy and holy name of Jesus Christ and give you our thanks for what you'll do. Amen. Over the last few weeks, you know that we've been watching as King Saul has pursued David and tried to kill him. Saul was a man of the flesh. He was really full of himself. He was being tortured, I believe, by a number of demons. As I said last week, the Bible talks about a specific evil spirit that was torturing him. And I don't have a lot of textual proof of this, so it's just a matter of of discussion for us. But it's just as I pray, as I've spent so many hours pouring over these chapters, I just, I just sense and saw a guy who's just surrounded by demonic activity, and he's doing demonic things. David, on the other hand, was a man of faith. He was a flawed man, but he looked to God. He listened to God. He sought to follow God. He sought to walk in the ways of God. But as we saw last week, after enduring seven specific plots against his life, and all of the intensity of evil that goes along with that in his life, he began to grow weary, and his faith began to falter, and he failed. He, he made some pretty bad decisions, and there were some pretty big consequences. However, as we saw last week, when David's faith faltered, he stumbled into the hands of a faithful God, and isn't that great news? When David grew weary, When David made bad decisions, he learned something not in his mind but in the depth of his heart that the ability to press on in faith wasn't mainly about his faith. The ability to press on in faith was mainly about the faithfulness of God. And even if 
people of faith cease to have faith, God will be faithful still, beloved. Paul said later in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, he said God cannot deny himself and so he will always be faithful. Beloved, I'm, I'm trying to say as clearly as I can, David learned this not in his head. He learned it deep, deep in his heart because he saw it in his life. He failed, but God did not fail. God provided for David all of his needs. He spared David's life. He protected his family. He gathered to David some 400 men. He brought to David the only surviving family member of the high priestly family, a a man named Abiathar. And having watched God in his faithfulness provide for all of his needs, David exclaimed in the words of Psalm 56, 9 through 13, this I know, David said, God is for me. And I pray we can hear the depth of the meaning in the words. This I know. You see, David hadn't just been through a theology class, passed the test, and now he knew something. David had just been through a severe trial, and he saw that God was faithful. He saw it with his own eyes. And so he wrote with his pen, this I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do for me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Beloved, David's faith faltered, but God did not falter. And so when he stumbled, he just stumbled into the arms of a very faithful God. And one thing I love about David, and that I love about people of faith in general, even my friend Sean Cordell that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I've seen this in Sean time and time and time again. When there's been stumbling in, in their lives, God comes and teaches them, God shows his faithfulness to them, and they learn the lesson. They alter their way of living, and that's what David did. Not only did he stumble into the arms of a faithful God, but he learned more about living by faith from the faithful God. That's what we're gonna see today. We're gonna see a man who learned his lesson, beloved. We're gonna see a simple way of life that began to take root in David's life, and in looking at this way of life, we're gonna see a way of life that God wants us to live too. He didn't just bring us here today to think about some guy who lived 2,900 years ago. He brought us here today to show us what he did in the life of this guy so that he could do this in our lives as well. So have ears to hear, beloved. Have a heart to receive. Let the Lord come and minister to you and teach you. Even if it's a simple thing, it's a profound thing. And oh, how I pray that this way of life would root in us because I believe all of our ability to bear fruit in Christ comes down to this simple way of life. So let's look at it now. Chapter 23, verse 1. In obedience to the will of God, David was hiding in the western part of Judah in a place called the Forest of Hereth, and he was not far from where he grew up, so he knew this area pretty well. At some point along the way, some messengers came to him and told him that the city of Kila was being attacked, and I think I put a map up here. Can we see if it's there? Yeah, and you can see uh, Kyla down right below Agilom. Last week, you might remember that David was hiding in Agilom, and then God had him go back up to the west part of Bethlehem there. And now while he's up there in that western part, he gets word that Kyla is being attacked by the Philistines. 
The Philistines are a strong people. They're a, a warring people. And what they wanted to do was go into that little village and steal all their food. The people who lived in Kila had worked all year long to bring this harvest to harvest, and now they were reaping it. And the Philistines wanted to come in and steal all of it. So David, of course, in his heart, he, he's a protective man. He's a, a God-fearing man. He's a people-loving man. And I'm sure that in his heart, his instinct was to go and save these people, to go and do something about this problem. But beloved, here's a man who's learned his lesson. Do you know what David did before he took that action? He inquired of the Lord. That is so important. In the face of an opportunity to do a very good thing, David did not launch into action. He first sought the Lord. This is such a huge thing. It shows us a man who's learning his lesson, beloved. He's learning his lesson. And when he went to the Lord and said, Lord, shall I go down there? Shall I do this good deed? The Lord was so faithful to him. And he said, yes, son, you should go. Go and save the people of Kilah. David's heart was ready to do that. He was not afraid. His heart was filled with faith. So he goes to his 400 men and he tells them the news. We're gonna go down there, we're gonna fight the Philistines. But this causes his men to shake in their boots. They're scared. They say to him, listen, we're scared enough hanging out here in the western part of, uh, of Judah because Saul is all after us and we're no match for him. So you're telling us this ragtag bunch of people that, frankly, was kind of like the bad news bears of the day. This was not the people you'd want to go into war with. You're, you're telling us that, that the bad news bears of Israel, that we're going to go fight the Philistines? This hugely strong people? How in the world will we stand up in the face of these people? We can't do it. They're right to be trembling, beloved. They're right, like on paper, this was no match. This is another David and Goliath situation. I love David, beloved. I love his heart. Please see what he did. It's such a simple thing. It will roll off my tongue so quickly, but all the power of life is right here. David sought the Lord again. He did not jump into action. He did not seek to just respond to these people. He did not try to just persuade them to do what he was persuaded God wanted them to do. He went back to the Lord. Such a simple way of life, such a powerful way of life. All fruit bearing begins right here. You go to the Lord. Father, you told me to go down to Kyla, and I believed you, I was ready to do that, but my men are so afraid, so Lord, I'm confused. Did I hear you correctly? Shall I go down? I just wanna do the right thing. Lord, I trust you, I believe in you, I know that you can slay any enemy, and I am ready to follow you even to my death. Oh, Father, shall I go? And the Lord was so faithful to David, beloved. He said very little about the state of David's men's heart. He gave David very little instructions. He just said, David, yes, go, go. And this time he gave him a promise. He said, I will give the Philistines into your hands. What an important answer. I will give them into your hands. Yes, you're weak. Yes, you have 400 of the bad news bears. You remember who these people were? They were all the people who were disgruntled, they were in debt, they were hurting. This was the bottom of the crop, not the cream of the crop that had come out to David, right? And the Lord said nothing about all that. He just said go, he just said go. The Lord loves to take weak things and do great things. He loves that. He loves to display his strength through our weakness. He loves to display his grace through our musings. And so David had heard clearly from the Lord. The, the Bible gives us no 
details at all about how he persuaded his men to go. It just says that they went. And they went and struck a great blow against the mighty Philistines. I wish that they'd had some kind of photography in those days. It would be wonderful to see what this ragtag army looked like because I think if we could see a picture of it, we'd be going, you have to be kidding. That army's gonna take on this army? You have to be kidding. And yet, God did it. David did not do this, beloved. This was not a story of might and courage. This was a story of faith. This was a story of a man who decided to live in this simple way. I'm first going to seek the Lord until I discern the will of the Lord, and then I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord. Do you see that? He's learning his lesson. Last week, what we saw is a guy who's rightly freaked out, and he's just doing stuff to try to solve problems on his own. God was so gracious to him, but he could not continue living that way. That way of life is a disaster. It's a disaster. David learned his lesson, beloved. Seek the Lord. Seek the face of the Lord until you discern the will of the Lord. And this might take time. This is going to take patience. It's going to take waiting. It might be painful, but seek the Lord until you learn the will of the Lord. And having discerned the will of the Lord, then move in the ways of the Lord by faith. Seek, discern, and move. That way of life is so important. And as I said earlier, my fear is that we'll say, oh, I've all heard that. What a simple lesson. I need something deeper. No, no, you don't. Examine your actual way of life. This is not about understanding an idea. It's about a way of life, beloved. Do you live this way? Seek the Lord until you discern the will of the Lord and then walk in the ways of the Lord. Beloved, please hear me. All the power to bear fruit in Christ is right there. It's right there. May God Help us to learn. David was learning this way of life, and I love him for it. I just love him for his humility in the face of his failure to say, Lord, please teach me. It was there in the city of Kila after the victory that the priest Abiathar, the sole survivor of the high priestly family, came and met David. And he brought with him that sacred ephod. The ephod was like a vestment that the priests used when they did their, their work in the temple of God. And that he came with the ephod is a sign that God's favor was coming to David. The priesthood of Israel was being aligned with David. And while they were there in that place, Saul the king heard the news about David's victory. And instead of rejoicing along with him, as he should have done, which by the way, the king should have gone and saved that little city of Kila. David shouldn't have had to do this. But when the king found out that David did it, he should have rejoiced. But he was a man of flesh, and so he thought, aha, I got him. I got him. Why? Because Kyla was a walled-in city. And Saul felt like he could trap David inside the city. Yep, David won the city back, but he's inside the walls. If I can just get enough men to surround the city, I can trap him in there. I can starve him out. Eventually, I can kill him. This was Saul's heart. This was Saul's devious, evil heart. He actually believed that God was helping him to kill David when in fact the exact opposite was true. The exact opposite was true. God was helping David to escape from Saul and here's how. Somehow or other, I don't know how because the Bible doesn't say exactly how. It just says that word got to David that Saul was coming after him. And I praise God for that. This piece of intelligence, if you will, was so incredibly important. And David had learned his lesson, beloved. So having heard that Saul was coming after him, what did David do? Did he jump into action? 
Did he flee in an effort to save his life? Did he, did he just do what made sense to him? Did he just jump into action? No, he did not. He sought God before he did anything, even when his life was on the line. Do you see this? Imminent threat. People are coming to kill you. David said, wait, i got to seek God first. Oh, what a man of God. That's what a man of God looks like, beloved. Have you ever been confused by the saying that David is a man after God's own heart? I've been confused by that at times in the past because I look at things he did in his life. I said, what does that mean? He did some horrible things. What do you mean he's a man after God's heart? Here's what it means. In failure and in victory, this man went to God. He went to God. He went to God. He went to God. He went to God. Oh, I love him. I love his heart for this. May we learn. Please look with me at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Then David said, oh, Lord, God of Israel, I just hear the weariness in his soul. Your servants has surely heard that Saul seeks him again to come to Kilah and destroy this whole city on my account. So, Lord, please help me understand. Will the men of Kilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord, God of Israel, please tell your servant. Please, Father, speak to me. I, I need to hear from you. I've heard the rumors of men, but God, I must hear your heart. That's what faith looks like, beloved. That's faith. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, yes, yes, they will surrender to you. I hope we can see what's happening here, beloved. Beyond all of the details of the story, there's a lesson here that is just so powerfully important. Seek first the will of God until you discern the will of God and then take action. Seek his face, hear his heart, then move. That way of life is so drastically important. When David, the man of faith, sought the Lord again, the Lord again showed himself to be faithful. The Lord answered David in his own time and in his own way. The Lord let him know enough details. If you think about what God said to him here, he didn't actually give him a lot of details. He just said, yes, this is going to happen. And, and I find a lesson here too because sometimes when I do seek the face of God, I want more information than God is always ready to give to me. Don't you? Sometimes I want to know not just the general direction, God, please give me the specifics. Sometimes the Lord says, no, no. Here's what you need to know. And, and I think the reason the Lord does this is because he's trying to develop faith inside of us. He's trying to develop trust in us. I will give you enough, my son. I will give you enough, my daughter, but then you will trust me for the rest because I'm trying to teach you something. You don't need to know the specifics. You need to know me. If you can trust me, you have all that you need. And David was given all that he needed. And so he took his men. Now they numbered 600 people. He probably picked up more followers in the city of Kilah. And they fled southeast to the wilderness of Ziph. I think I put another map there. 
you can see Ziph down there farther. So Kyla's up in the middle and Ziph is down there. So he's, it says wilderness of Judah there, but that's where he was in that, in that area. He's hiding there, trying to get away from Saul. But the most important thing for us to understand is not where he went and, and, and exactly where he was. The, the, the most important thing to see is that he went there because God led him to go there. He wasn't operating in his flesh anymore, beloved. He's now seeking his father until he discerned his father's will, and then he was moving. Saul was seeking the heart, the heart, the life of David every single day. You'll see this in verse 14 if you look there. It didn't matter what God was doing in, in David's life. Saul was just after this guy and after this guy and after this guy. Saul seeks David every day, but David is seeking the heart of God every day. This is the most important thing in David's life right now. Saul is seeking to kill him every single day. David is seeking the heart of God every single day. This is the difference between the man of the flesh and the man of faith. He's seeking and seeking and seeking God every single day. And the Lord, in that way, showed himself to be David's deliverer. The grace of God is so great because at this very time, the king's son, Jonathan, came again to David to strengthen him. And I love this part of the story. If you'll see there in verses 16, 17, and 18, Jonathan did this in a very specific way that I also find very instructive. Jonathan did three specific things. I guess four in a way, because it starts with, again, Jonathan risked his life to go to David. You know, he's, this, he's the king's son. And if he's caught being in the presence of David, Jonathan is a dead man. So Jonathan went in faith to strengthen his brother in the faith. That's what he did. And when he got there, he did three specific things. First of all, it says he strengthened his hand in God, in God. So not a lot of details are given there. But the way I read that is that Jonathan came not just to pump David up and to make him feel better, not just to tell him, lift your chin up, buddy, things are gonna get better, there's gonna be a brighter day, there's gonna be light at the end of the tunnel. No, he's strengthening his hand in God, which to me can only mean that he strengthened his hand by the words of God. Jonathan knew the Bible so well. He was a man of faith. We've seen that before. David knew the Bible so well. He was a man of faith. That's what made these two guys connect with each other so strongly. It was their faith that attracted the faith, you see? The, the faith in God was their bond. And so I believe that Jonathan came to David and said, David, here, look at the promises of God. I feel certain in my heart that Jonathan quoted to him from the books of Moses, oh, my dear brother, see the promises of God. I feel certain that Jonathan strengthened David by the words God had spoken to Saul and to David, that Saul would be uh, declined and that David would rise to the kingship. David, my brother, remember the words of God. Never forget how David wrote that last psalm. He said, in God whose words I praise. Why is David praising God's words? Because the words of God are the, the containers. They're the means by which the promises of God come to make sense to us. How else can we know a promise of God unless he uses words? So we cling to the words of God because we're clinging to the God of those words. We're clinging to the God of the promises and of the purposes. And I believe that Jonathan began by strengthening his brother by the words of God. Such a powerful thing. If you're gonna be a true encourager to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you must use the words of God. 
One of the reasons that we have to let the word of God dwell in us richly is so that we'll have something of substance with which to encourage each other. Do you see that? You can pump people up in the flesh all day long. People outside of Christ do it every single day. You cannot truly encourage somebody in the spirit without the words of God dwelling inside you richly. You can't encourage with things that you don't know. So don't hear the plea to be in the word of God as a legalistic plea to just read your Bible like a good Christian every day. Hear it as a preparation for exalting God and encouraging each other. That's what's happening here. Second thing Jonathan did was then he helped David look at his circumstances with new eyes. He said, David, now we've seen God's promises. Now let's think about what's happening in your life. Let's, let's look at what's happening Let's, let's think about the specifics of what's happening in light of the things that God is doing. It looks bad, David. I know it looks bad. It feels bad. I know it feels bad. But David, I promise you something. I promise you something, brother. God is faithful, and he's actually using all these circumstances to work it out so that my father will fall and you will rise. Believe me, he's doing that, David. Oh, this looks horrible. My dad, right this minute, even as I'm talking to you, my dad is out for you. But God is using all of it, brother. He's using all of it. See your circumstances with new eyes. Oh, I love this. I find so much help from this. When I'm talking with a brother or sister, or when you're talking with me, don't start with circumstances. Start with the word of God, the promises of God, the purposes of God. And then, yes, amen, let's come back to those circumstances and rethink them. Let's see them through a a new light. Let's see your problems through the lens of the promises of God. If you'll do it in that order, oh, you'll become a true encourager. That's That's what Jonathan was. David is just getting pumped up in the spirit, not in the flesh, because of his dear brother. Third thing that they did was now for the third time, Jonathan and David actually made another covenant together, probably the same words, the same stuff that they've done now, but this is now for the third time. They're pledging themselves to each other. They're saying, for the glory of God, and because God is so faithful, because he's so strong, because he's so right, because he's so righteous, because he's so holy, because he's so good, we will pledge one another to one another, to the death. I will die for you, you will die for me. We will be faithful to each other before the Lord. So you see this, encouraged by the word of God, help reinterpret circumstances and then pledge your personal love to somebody. I'm with you. Oh, I find so much help in this, beloved. You wanna be a true encourager? Do it in that order, in that order. Encouraged by the promises of God, help people reinterpret their circumstances and then look them in the eyes and say, I'm with you. I am with you. I am your brother in Christ. I am your sister in Christ. And we will live this life together by faith. I imagine as I prayed through this, I just think when Jonathan left, David is on a mountaintop. I mean, he might have literally been on a mountain. I don't know, but I'm not talking about a literal mountain. I'm talking about a spiritual mountain. I think Jonathan left and David was just filled with faith in the faithfulness of God. And that was about to be put to the test now. You see, we need these encouragements. In in Hebrews, it says, exhort one another like this, in this manner, exhort one another every single day, as long as it is called today, and even more as that great day of judgment is approaching. Why? Because the closer we get to the final day of Christ, the more intense the spiritual warfare in this life. Beloved, we need this kind of encouragement, and David needed this kind of encouragement. Saul 
right around this time got a visit from the people of Ziph. The people of Ziph decided that it would be to their advantage to betray David and to help Saul find him and kill him. So they just totally betray this guy. They go to the king and they say, hey, we know where he's at. You should come and get him. And Saul, like the deceiving man that he was, said this in verses 21 and 22. He said, I can't tell you the putrid feeling I feel in my heart when I read these words coming out of his mouth. May you be blessed by the Lord. That's the sacred name of Yahweh. It's an evil man using God's name in an evil way. This is more what it means to take the Lord's name in vain than probably anything. It's to use it in illegitimate ways. May you be blessed by Yahweh. How dare he say that? For you have had compassion on me. Go make yet more sure. Know and see the place where David's foot is and who he has seen and who has seen him there. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. I hardly know what to say in response to that. Saul is accusing something of David that's true of Saul's heart. This is how flesh and faith works. Flesh looks to the faith and accuses people of faith of of having the kind of heart that's actually inside of them. And that's what Saul was doing. And he's using religious language to persuade everybody around him. Oh, brother, thank you so much for being so merciful to me. You've been so kind. And by the way, God is using you. So God bless you for helping me to do what? To go kill this guy. What evil? What evil? Beware of flesh that masks itself in the garb of faith, in the language of faith. Beware of that. David was a skilled warrior, beloved. He knew how to do things. And there was a sense in which he was cunning, but not in the sense Saul meant. Saul meant that he was cunning in the sense of being manipulative and deceitful and and causing divisiveness and division and all this stuff. And that was not true. That was true of Saul. That was not true of David. And the Lord himself knew this to be true. One day, it wouldn't take too long. Probably for David, it felt like it was going to take forever at this time, but it wouldn't take too long. God would expose Saul for exactly what he was. He would expose the man of flesh, he would expose the man of faith, and the truth would be known. But for right now, Saul said, all right, let's go get him. He told the Ziphites, he said, go back there and find out more specific information. When you do, I will follow. So they did what he asked, and in time, Saul went to seek him. Saul went to find him and destroy the man of faith. By grace, again, by the grace of God, David heard of Saul's movements. How did he hear? I don't know the details, but here's what I know. Saul seeking David every day, David seeking the Lord every day. Saul seeking David every day, the Lord, David seeking the Lord every day. And as he's seeking the Lord, the Lord gives him what he needs. Son, he's after you. Get out of here. So David starts to flee. And just the way that this situation shakes out, they're on this little mountain. And at this time, it's just called the rock. It was a little mountain in this part of Israel. And Saul's going up one side of the mountain. David's on the other side of the mountain. Saul's pursuing David. David's actually seeking the Lord, but he's fleeing as fast as he can to get away from Saul. Oh, Father, deliver me from my enemies. Father, please deliver me from my enemies. He's running. He's trying to get away. And while he's trying to get away, the Lord is working for him. Because at this exact moment, somebody comes to Saul and says, Saul, you have to come back to to Judah. You have to come back now. The Philistines are attacking. Israel needs their king. And in this way, God caused Saul to turn around and to stop pursuing the men of faith. And David escaped. And that little mountain was called now the Rock of Escape. 
I took the title for the message from, from this because I think it's the most powerful metaphor here, the rock of escape. But I want to tell you something. David, I'm sure, appreciated how God used that mountain, but he knew that his hope was not in that mountain. This victory was not about tactics. It was not about terrain, about geography. This victory was about a man who looked to God. In these days, beloved, David learned that the Lord Almighty is the rock of escape for those who will humbly look to him in faith. Are you hearing the word of God? This is true for you and for me too. Please hear. The Lord Almighty is the rock of escape for all who will humbly look to him in faith. Our hope is in nothing else but in the Lord our God. David learned this lesson again, not in his mind, but deep, deep in his heart through circumstances. Saul was pursuing him every single day and, the Lord, and David was seeking the Lord every single day and in this way he came to learn new things about God. I know this from the flow of the story but I also know this because praise God, David wrote another song right at this time. I love the singing poet, the soon to be king, the man who loves God so much that he can't help but sing to God. I love a man who is a man in the sense of being a warrior and a tough guy that probably you wouldn't want to mess with. There's probably not a man in this room who could take David if he got in a fight with him. And yet he was so soft that he brought his lyre with him everywhere he would go and he would sing and he would play. He had a, a heart for God. That's what a real man looks like. A heart for God that's not afraid to sing, that's not afraid to write songs. And so he wrote Psalm 54. Would you please turn there with me? Psalm 54. This psalm breaks down into three specific sections, and we're going to look at them one at a time. So I'm going to read a section, talk about it a little bit. But again, what's really going on here is this, all the story we just heard, we're about to get a peek inside of David's heart when this whole thing was happening. The first section is in verses one through three, and I just call it the plea. This is David's crying out to God. So let me read, beginning with the inscription. To the choir master, so worship team, this is for you. With stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Saul's seeking David's life every day. What's David doing? He's seeking God, and here's part of what he said. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah. Which probably just means pause here and think. So let's, let's do that. I'm really touched by what David is praying here. Please notice that he's asking God to save him by his own name and that he's asking to be vindicated by the might of God. So what I see in David is a man whose heart is not out for revenge. I don't know about you, but when I get attacked, I think my natural impulse is just to attack back. I want revenge. Especially when I know I've been attacked unjustly, I just want revenge. But this was not David's heart. By the grace of God, this was not what he was praying for. Maybe he felt it in his heart, I don't know. But here what we see is a man who's saying, oh Lord, by your might, by your might, please vindicate my name. He's not out for reverse injustice, you know. He's not like saying, Saul's out to get one of my eyes. Please God, take two of his eyes. David is simply saying, Lord, please vindicate this. 
And I really believe this is what David meant when he said, vindicate me. Vindicate this, that I have sought you day by day. I have not been the man of flesh that I have been accused of being. Please vindicate that I have been looking to you and following you. Beloved, David's heart was not to say, get my enemies, God. David's heart was to say, vindicate your work in me. Show the truth that you have been working in me. Show the truth that Saul has not been following you. Oh, Father, unmask the confusion. You see, Saul had been accusing David of being divisive, of being cunning, of being all these things. And I promise you, Saul had fooled many people. I promise you that there was much confusion among the people of Israel. They didn't know who to believe. Should we believe David? Should we believe Saul? They did not know who to believe. They were confused, but David knew that as flawed as he was, he was a genuine man of faith. So here's his prayer, oh Father, just unmask that. Please just show that I have followed you. And I don't know about you, but I hear the depth of the pain in his heart as he prays these things. This was a difficult time for him. But I want again to say to you, when he knew that the man of flesh was out to kill him, he fled to the Lord, beloved, Please learn the lesson. In the face of opportunity, in the face of temptation, in the face of great trials, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Let your plea come up to God. That is what David did. I believe that as David prayed and waited upon the Lord, I believe that God spoke to him in his own time and way and gave him assurance. And I think that the the heart of the assurance that God gave to him, I just about said insurance. And in a way, that's true because of what God said to him. The heart of that is in verses four and five. So will you please look there with me? Behold, and notice he's pronouncing these things now. Behold, God is my helper. Not God might be my helper. God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. Here's what I see happening. Because I've been in this place many times. Before the actual deliverance happened, so the trial is still going on. Saul's still after him. The details haven't shaken out yet. He has not yet escaped. God gives him truth. God gives him information that he really needs to strengthen his soul before the situation resolves. So the man of faith, even when the trial is hot as hot can be, the man of faith is relaxed. He's at peace because he's heard from God. The Lord maybe hasn't showed him all the details yet, but the Lord has assured him of this. And I'll say it again, insured him of this. God is your helper, son. I, the Lord, am the one who upholds you. That Hebrew word, uphold, means to lean upon somebody. It means that like you could lean against God and he's not gonna fall over. I mean, if I lean on this microphone right now and try to rest, it's gonna fall over and I'm gonna fall too. But God is saying, I'm your upholder, David. Come lean on me, you will not fall over. I am that for you and I will deliver you. I will vindicate you. In my faithfulness, I will expose your enemies. The trial is still as hot as hot can be. But like Jesus, in a way, David's like asleep at the bottom of the boat, if you know what I'm talking about, the story where Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of a boat, and there's a storm raging all around, and the Lord is just as peaceful as peaceful can be. And the disciples ask Jesus, are you crazy? We're about to be killed here. How could you sleep? 
This is David's heart, I believe, in this time. So he can pronounce, God is my helper. God is my upholder. God is the one who will save me. I'm sure that there were probably times of anxiety still in his heart, but he could just keep going back. No soul. Remember what God has said. Just trust. Before you see it with your eyes, before all the details are worked out, you need to trust in this, my soul. God is your helper. It's going to happen. God is your upholder. It's going to happen. God is your deliverer. It's going to happen. The Lord is going to take care of me. David believed. He believed. And God delivered him. And we saw how. God used a mountain and he used circumstances to show that God was actually his rock of escape. After that happened, David sang the praise of God. We see this in verses six and seven. David wrote, a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, O Yahweh. Why? For it is good. It is good. I have hidden inside of your name, and I found it to be a stronghold, a tower, a rock of escape, and it is so good. For the Lord has delivered me, past tense, he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Beloved, David sang his highest praise because God had been his rock of escape. This is how I see it shaking out. David pled with the Lord. He received assurance from the Lord. The Lord showed himself to be faithful, and then David did not cease seeking God at that time. You know, by the way, some of our most dangerous moments are right after we've been delivered. After the trial is over, after the temptation is over, after the battle with the people of flesh is over, the way we act at that time is so incredibly important. Please learn from David. What he did was he fled back into the presence of God and he praised God. He did not gloat over his enemies. Oh, what a temptation that is when a, a victory is given to us. He did not gloat over them. He did not sink into other fleshly things. He did not just go about his own life like, well, that's over now. I don't need the Lord anymore. He went back to God and said, oh, my Father, how I thank you. I will give offerings to you. I will exalt you. In fact, Father, I'm going to write a song about this, and I'm going to teach the people the song, and I'm going to hope that they'll sing it and sing it, and by God's grace, 2,900 years later, we don't know the tune of the song, but we're still here talking about this song. This is the fruit of a man who's going to give praise to God. Saul sought David every day. But David sought the Lord every day. And in this way, beloved, he learned this lesson. The Lord Almighty himself is the rock of escape for everybody who will look to him humbly in faith. That's the lesson, beloved. Seek the, the, the face of the Lord until you discern the will of the Lord. Walk in the ways of the Lord. You will find him to be your rock of escape. You will find that. So, like David, beloved, maybe some of us are in a place right now where we need to plead with the Lord. Maybe you're under an attack from your flesh, temptation. Maybe you're under an attack from the world at work, at school. Maybe even among your larger family. Maybe there's people in the world that are after you. Maybe somehow the devil is just on your case and will not let you go. I plead with you to follow our brother David into the presence of God and plead with God. Bring your pain into the presence of God. Don't try to solve it on your own. Inquire of the Lord. Open up his word. Pray that by his spirit he will help you. Talk to his people. Seek the Lord, beloved. Do not take your plea as your own burden, but bear your burden to the Lord. This is an issue of obedience. It really is. 
a lot of times when I feel very stressed by a, a temptation, my temptation or, or a trial or whatever, my temptation is to kind of withdraw from the Lord a little bit. I don't know why this happens in my heart, but it often does. I have to discipline myself to say, no, no, that will make the problem worse, not better. So go to God. Seek the Lord. So if you're heavy under a temptation and you need to plead with God, then indeed come and plead with God. We're going to pray in just a few minutes. And I encourage you to plead with him right here. Don't wait until later. Plead with the Lord right here in this place. Maybe you're in a place where you have pled with the Lord and he's given you some assurance by the gospel of God. He's helped you to see that he will keep all of his promises in Christ Jesus all the way to the end. He said, I have founded your faith. I will perfect your faith. I will complete the work that I began in you all the way until the day when I come to get you and bring you home. Maybe you have been encouraged and built up in the gospel and you know these promises are true. Then you need to follow David into the presence of God and pray those promises and preach to your soul according to those promises. O soul, don't you fear. Don't you be anxious, soul. You just rest in God. You hope in God because he has promised to be your deliverer. Maybe the big deliverance won't come until later, but when he's ready and in his time and in his way, he will deliver me from this trial and eventually he'll deliver me from all trials because God is a God of his word. Pump your soul up, beloved, by the truth of God in the presence of God. Preach to your own soul. This is what David did. Finally, maybe you're in a place where you've actually gotten to the other side of the trial, the other side of the temptation, the other side of the, of the combat with a person of faith. Maybe you're there. Oh, I plead with you, go to God and render to him your praise. Don't let your soul gloat over that other person. Don't let your soul wander into fleshly things. Go to God, go to God, go to God at all times and let him know your heart. So with that in mind, why don't we take a few minutes to pray now. I'm, I'm gonna just give an opening prayer then I'm just gonna give maybe a minute or two of silence and just let you do your business before God. And now's the time to do it, beloved. Maybe you'll have more work to do later today, but start the process right now. Plead with God, encourage your soul in God, give your praise to God. And then after a couple minutes of silence, I'm gonna ask maybe two or three of you to pray out loud, and then I will close our time. Our Father, how I thank you for your word, and how I thank you for this, for me anyway, It's been a very powerful encouragement to live this simple, simple way of life. And I pray now, Father, for those who need to plead with you. I pray that they'd feel permission to just tell you what they're going through, tell you how they feel about it. And Lord, please hear their pleas. And Father, I pray for those who need to preach to their soul and rest in the assurances that you've already given to them. Oh, Father, teach them. Teach them that before the trial is over, they can be asleep in the bottom of the boat. And Father, for those who have seen you work great deliverance, oh, how I pray that their heart would be to praise you and not to gloat over enemies. So please help us now, Father, as we spend a moment of silence in your presence. My Father, I thank you for the power of your word and the stirring of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you'd continue to stir among us. Lord, I pray that when the service is over, that you would guide people to each other to encourage one another by the word of God and by the promises of God and in the spirit of God. Oh, Father, please, by the spirit, take full advantage of the word that's in our hearts right now. And God, please teach us this simple way of life that we always 
go to the Lord, to discern the will of the Lord, and then we walk in the ways of the Lord. Oh, teach us, Lord, that for those who humbly look to you in faith, you will be our rock of escape. Oh, Father, please teach us. I thank you for what you'll do, Father, and now we rise to praise your name, whether in pain or whether in joy. We praise your name because we know that you are good. It is in the happy and holy name of Jesus that we pray, amen.